Matthew chapter 3, we have the advance man. And that being John the Baptist, right? Um, well, there it is. We should be Baptist, right? Because John... No. <laughs> Um, advance man. What's an advance man? Well, that's the person who will visit the location before the arrival of a very important visitor uh, to make the appropriate arrangements. And I really look at John as being the greatest advance man in history. That's exactly what his ministry was. If you look back and consider biblical times this morning with me, if you'd have a prince or a governor desiring to visit uh, his people, there would be a high official that would be sent out in advance to announce the coming Lord and to make the preparations for that proposed visit. The party is greeted and welcomed by the local leaders and the citizens and not to bestow honor on the high officials or the servants in that role, the representatives there uh, were just, to, they would do this and welcome in a way to show respect because of the respect that they had for the official who would be coming. Um, if they were disrespected, these advanced men, representatives, they would just cancel the visit altogether. Well, if this is how you're going to treat me, I don't want you to have anything to do with my leader who's coming. Um, so it would be canceled. And I think about advanced men throughout scriptures. If you guys think about um, David sending the 10 men before him to Nabal, you know, in the scriptures, okay? Epi who's David? <laughs> you know, epic fail there. And I think about the guys uh, with Ammon. You guys remember that they weren't received well and they end up cutting half their beards off and their garments. And I mean, yeah, if you're going to disrespect the king, <laughs> you're going to get it kind of thing. But sometimes the people would get carried away in honoring the representative, forgetting that it was all about the coming of the high official. The representative would be sensitive to this so his Lord would not be jealous and so many times, one of the things we see John the Baptist doing, I think we should really appreciate and learn from him in this way. John had to deflect, and he did it well. No, I'm not the Messiah. No, I'm not the lamp who bears witness. You know, I'm just the lamp that bears witness to the light. No, I'm not a prophet. No, I'm not the word. I'm just a voice. No, I'm not the groom. I'm just the best man, okay? <laughs> um, so we move to our story here today where the advanced man had become so popular, even the religious leaders were coming to his baptisms. And people, after 400 years, think about this time, Okay, John is a prophet. He is preaching repentance, the kingdom of God. It is coming, okay? The, the Messiah is coming. We need to prepare the way, make it straight for him. He is the last prophet of the Old Testament. For 400 years previous to him, there were no prophets. God was silent. Put yourself in the shoes of one of the Jews of that day. What were they thinking? Has God given up on us? Has he forgotten about us? Why isn't he speaking to us 
anymore. So they lost sight of the coming one, and they were very excited about this prophet John. So let's look at verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness in Judea. So some 30 years have now passed between chapter 2 and chapter 3, in which Jesus lived in Nazareth during this time and worked as a carpenter. Now comes the time for his public ministry to begin. And do you guys know that Jesus only ministered for three years? That's really what we're going to cover in the Gospel of Matthew over the next couple of years is his ministry of just really three years. Uh, so 400 years have passed since the nation heard the voice of a prophet. Then John the Baptist arrived and then this great revival occurred. John the Baptist, the last of the Old Testament prophets and the greatest man who ever lived. Really, Pastor? Yeah, jot down John chapter 11, verse 11. That's our memory verse for the week, okay? Or, sorry, Matthew eleven eleven speaks to that. But if you guys think about that, great. John the Baptist, greatest man who ever lived. But I want you guys to think for a moment just the privilege that we have as being followers of Jesus Christ being disciples of Jesus Christ, sharing in the kingdom. We by far, you know, <laughs> are greater in a lot of respects than anyone could ever experience on earth. Like just the privilege that we've been given as believers is huge. I mean, John the Baptist missed the death, the resurrection of his Savior. You know, we've been given the Holy Spirit. And anyway, we'll talk about that a little bit more later. But anyways... Moving on to verse 2, if you look at the outline this morning that you guys have in your handouts, we have a message of change given. I've entitled this morning, just simply repent. Again, you guys know that I think that's one of the sweetest words we find in all of the scriptures, but it tells us in verse 2, in saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. Metanoia, okay? Not to, it's not a regret, it's not a remorse, but it's to have a change of mind. It's to then act on that change. God wants us to change our thinking. That's why we're being renewed in the scriptures. That's why we see a lot of good fruit here at Freedom Fellowship. Why? Because we're taking in the word of God. We're aligning our thinking with his. Yes, you're right. <laughs> I'm wrong. But then it's actually acting upon it. Not just being hearers of the word, James 1.22, but then being doers of it. We're actually acting on what we're learning, what we're being taught, what we're believing. So John's ministry, he didn't call people to be sorry. Okay, I've gotten to minister a lot of people, and there's a lot of people that are sorry. Great, you can be sorry all day long and still end up going to hell for all eternity. Sorry doesn't do it. Standing before your maker one day after you pass from this life and say, I'm sorry, that ain't going to do it, guys. What God has called us is actually for us to change our ways. They were to have a change of mind and a change of attitude that translates into a change of action, a changed life. So he preached repent. So don't start at the end when you need Jesus. Okay, you need Jesus. That's all you need. You just need Jesus. No, repent. <laughs> You need Jesus. It starts with repentance, guys. You turn to him. 
And then when you turn to him in faith, then you're born again of the Spirit of God. And oh boy, your life, your attitude, the way you think, everything is now changed. So it first starts with repentance. So don't start at the end, okay? Start with those uh, starting blocks that God has taught us in Scripture, which is repentance. Matthew 4, 17, from that time on, Jesus began to preach. What was Jesus preaching? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And then the apostle Peter, we see in Acts 2, 38, he says what? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of of the Holy Spirit. And then we see the great apostle Paul in Acts chapter 20 verse 21, I've declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's repent, it's believe. And even Jesus, as he laid out the letters in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 to the churches of Ephesus, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, and Laodicea, what did he say to each one of them? First thing, repent, right? Repent, Acts 17.30. In past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people, not just the elect, the chosen. No, all people are called to repent. And when they repent and believe on Jesus Christ, they are saved. Pretty simple. That's the good news. It starts with repentance. And that's what we have John the Baptist doing. He is calling people to repent, to turn to God. And then we see in verse 3, the desert thunder, this voice. Okay, it tells us here, for this is he who was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, saying, the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So this, this word voice in the Hebrew literally means to call loud or noise or thunder. It's used as once in a while. So a thunder in the desert. Wouldn't that be cool to be described as, as a preacher? Uh, thunder man when he speaks it is thunder and this thunder is out in the desert what is it doing let's go out there and hear right so jesus was the word john was the voice to declare the word so john is the voice his tone is crying his place is in the wilderness and his mission was to prepare the people for the way of the lord okay uh, so it's, um, let's turn to Isaiah together, 40. We'll, we'll see in Isaiah's account uh, where all four gospel writers, I don't know if you know this or not, all four of them quoted the prophet Isaiah. And the prophet called the people to smooth out a highway in the desert. So how do we prepare the way of the Lord? Well, if we take a look together here in Isaiah chapter 40, verse Verses 3 to 5, it says, listen. And every time I see in Scripture where it tells us to listen, <laughs> our ears really should perk up. What's about to be said here? Here's a point that God's about to make. It says, listen. It is a voice of someone shouting, clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord. Make a straight highway through the wasteland of our God. Fill in the valleys and level the mountains and hills. 
straighten the curves and smooth out the rough places, then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together. The Lord has spoken. I love this passage. Okay, and this is exactly what John the Baptist was doing in preaching. So why did John have to make the way straight? Well, if we think about the imagery that Isaiah the prophet just laid out for you and I, this was taken you know, from his day, 700 years earlier. They didn't have roads yet. <laughs> they didn't have straight places. If they were going to travel somewhere, it'd be through the fields on a little footpath to this or that. But if a king wanted to go and visit somewhere, you know what they would do beforehand? They would send out the crews to what? Make a path big enough, flat enough, straight enough for his carriage to take him there. So this is the imagery that was given to us. So John was paving the path for the Messiah. Clear the path. He was a trailblazer. So the wilderness that's spoken of here, Isaiah chose this metaphor to describe Israel's spiritual condition, okay? Desolate, dry, barren. You guys may feel that you're in that place personally. Spiritually, I just feel dry. <laughs> What's going on? Well, have you made the path for the Lord? Have you done that? Well, no, I'm, I'm too busy. I would say repent. <laughs> Turn to him, okay? That's where it starts. A lot of Christians don't understand why things aren't shaking out. They aren't working out. They're looking at brothers and sisters and, man, they're getting it. They're living it. Man, they're blazing trails. <laughs> why ain't I doing this? I think it comes back to the first thing. First things first. Are you repenting? Are you repenting? He's not talking a one-time repent for salvation. Man, repenting daily. <laughs> we got to keep turning back. Because I don't know about you guys or not, it's easy to get off the path sometimes, isn't it? What do you do? You turn back, don't you? You repent. That's what we need to be doing. So if we think about what Isaiah is saying here, these words demand a spiritual renewal and preparation for the Messiah's advent. Isaiah spoke of God's coming to lead his people out of their Babylonian exile. John spoke of God's coming to lead his people out of sin's exile. So it is a picture of us making a highway for God along which he will move toward his ultimate accomplishment. So there are no mountains too high for God, nor for the people of faith. And when I think about this passage, I often think maybe we should be singing some, you know, Diana Ross in church. Ain't no mountain high enough. Ain't no valley low enough. <laughs> there ain't no river wide enough from keeping me from loving you. I mean, that's one of those things. What's standing between you and the Lord of getting right, of walking with him? Man, you make it straight. Well, you don't understand how high that mountain is, Pastor. To make a pass through that, to get through that, man, don't put God in a box. And if you treasure him and love him, you ain't going to care how long it's going to take, how much work it'll be. You're just going to do it because you love him. So which mountain is in front of you? I think I put that question in the handout. I'd like you guys to actually answer that right now. Recognize it. 
See for what it is. What is standing in the way? Put it down. Know what it is. Because if you don't actually know what it is, then you ain't going to be able to address it. You aren't going to be able to take care of it. So, are there any obstacles that you need uh, to remove from your life? And have you rolled out the red carpet for Jesus in your life? Have you given him that honor? Well, yeah. I'm at church, ain't I? For some people, that's all Jesus gets during the week. That's the sad part. And we need to honor him in our lives. So I am prepared for his coming. Jesus cannot come and do his work in me as long as something is blocking the way. Whether it's good or bad, I want you guys to understand that. There are so many things in this life that can block us from what God has, what he is asking. And it can be a good thing in your life. You know? Because aren't we told, don't we listen to all the Christian programming? We're told to focus on the family, right? Family can get in the way of what God is wanting to do. I'm not saying forsake your family. No, God has made it clear in Scripture we're to love our wives. We're to respect our husbands. We're to train up our children in the Lord. It's for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. That's a given. But if that's what you're focusing on, man, you've missed it. Lord, what are you asking? What is in the way? Family time? Ministry? Well, I'm a pastor. I've got to prepare. I've got to be with people. I've got to be serving. I've got to be ministering. Well, if that's getting in the way of what God is calling, then it's got to get out of the way. You guys understand what I'm saying? Okay, there can be good things. And obviously, there's the bad things in life. Okay, that should just be common sense. So, the highway to heaven is paved and prepared. It's really paved by prepared hearts, repentant hearts, soft hearts, fertile hearts. Okay, that's what God looks at. He's looking at our hearts. Are they open? Are they ready? Are we just going through the motions? Man, the eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the whole earth. He's looking for those hearts that are loyal to Him. That's what He wants. That's all that He wants. So, there may be rough terrain in our hearts. It needs to be smooth before the Lord can come in. And that's one thing the Word of God, I really believe, does. Okay? It chisels away at those hard parts in our heart. So when you read the Bible and pray, first clear the way for the Lord. Clear the way for the Lord. When you worship, first smooth the uh, desert path for God. And when God seems distant, do a little road work of repentance. Turn to him in order to prepare the way for him. And then in verse 4, we see his simplicity in John's ministry. I really appreciate verse 4. John himself was clothed in camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. A lot of people read this verse and just like, what a weirdo. You know, man, crazy prophet. I love the simplicity of it. Sometimes I wish I could do away with my phone, with social media. 
you know, just simplify. There's a lot of, lot of, lot of stress, a lot of anxiety, a lot of depression in the world today. Why is it on the rise in our generation? Why is it worse than it's ever been? I think there's just too much. There's just too much. I think if we would simplify, man, I think our hearts would probably be in a better place to make the way straight for the Lord. Less distractions. I'll be honest with you guys. I stress out what I'm going to wear to church on Sunday. This morning I said I felt like a woman. <laughs> Not being sexist, but I've seen my wife sit there and just try to figure out what to wear, what goes with what. I felt like that this morning. I'm standing there for probably three or four minutes. You know, when I don't have to be in front of people, what do I do? Oh, that looks like a comfy t-shirt. I'm wearing my comfy pants for the fourth day in a row. You know, it just works. But <laughs> it's one of those things we see John, when it comes just to food and clothes, it's just simple. What do I got? Making it simple. So he was rough. He was raw. He was stern. He was inflexible. And his dress was kind of like Elijah. You guys remember 2 Kings talks about Elijah and his ministry there in chapter 1, verse 8. You know, a lot of similarities between the two. He lived off the land eating insects like locusts. I don't know if I want to simplify that much. But <laughs> the essence of protein. Hey, I just have enough protein to live on. Okay, I'm not going to worry about it having to be great, you know. Is it, is it going to work in wild honey? So note the simplicity, the sternness, the self-denial in his life. Love the simplicity. And also then, on the flip side, the popularity issue. Okay, I think that's another reason why people are tripping out so much today. Our social media, we just get glimpses of just how great we are and how great life is. And then we look at everybody else's lives and how great and picture perfect they all are. And then we feel like, oh, I'm not doing as well as everybody else because my life's a wreck. But what we don't know is everybody's life is a mess. Yes, we go through tribulations. There are trials. We all go through those things. But the world doesn't know. And we have John here dealing with popularity, but there's a humility with him. In verse 5, Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region all around the Jordan went out to him. We're told in Matthew's account, chapter 21, verse 32, that there were many tax collectors and harlots that came out for his baptism. But the religious leaders refused uh, that they refused them to repent and believe in him. So John, he thought more of uh, his coming Lord, you know, than all of Judea. That's what he was concerned about. Was, Jesus is coming. <laughs> it's about Jesus. Who cares that all these people are coming out? Okay? There's a great perspective there for you and I. No pride. And then we look at the baptizer in verse 6. This is twofold. And were uh, baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. So John's baptism was not made up, but it was from heaven. I hope you guys understand that. It's not just some crazy guy <laughs> out in the desert doing his weird religion thing. 
No, this was God-ordained. John's baptism, where is it from? Heaven or earth? That was a question that was posed in the scriptures. And if we consider John's baptism, it really was twofold. As we see here in Matthew 3, verse 6, it prepared the nation for Christ. So he brought them to confess their sins. That's what was going on. And then we see in John's gospel, chapter 1, verse 31, it presented Christ to the nations. Do you guys see the twofold ministry of his baptism there? It's pretty cool. It tells us there, I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. So John knew his ministry. Hey, I'm preparing the way of the Lord. I'm doing this that they might know him. That's what it's all about. Let's turn to Acts chapter 19 together. I want to look at just a few verses. We actually see three different baptisms in three verses here in Acts chapter 19. So we'll look at these three baptisms that are brought up. We'll look at John's baptism, Jesus' baptism, and the Holy Spirit's baptism. Verse 3 of Acts 19, And he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? So they said, Into John's baptism. And then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance. Okay? Some people want to say John's baptism was water baptism. No, it was a baptism of repentance. Okay? Water baptism, guys. Okay? It's for us professing before the world. It's going public with our faith. The baptism that God cares about is, hey, are we repentive? That's why I think it's a disservice when we baptize children. Okay? What are you doing there? You're telling them that they're okay. There was a confession of their faith. No, again, guys, you repent, you turn. <laughs> and then it is a life of faith, of believing on Jesus Christ. And that's something we are to personally to do. The Bible over and over again, believe and be baptized. But when we're speaking of John's baptism, it's a really a call to confess our sin. Hey, I am repenting. I am wrong. I have sinned against you, God. You're right. I'm wrong. <laughs> you know? I repent. I'm changing my ways. I see the error of my ways. I'm doing it your way. And then in verse 4, it says that John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Jesus Christ. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then verse 6, it tells us, Paul, then he laid hands on them, and the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and they prophesied. So we see three different baptisms brought up in these few verses. Now, let's flip back to Matthew 3. We'll continue to make a connection here with the baptism. First, I want to look at verses 7 to 9 with you guys. We're going to look at some Pharisees and Sadducees. And the rebuker here, Verse 7, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, I'm so glad you, my religious buddies, have showed up today to support this ministry. Oh, wait, brood of vipers? He said to the religious dudes, brood of vipers? 
Have any of you guys ever been that bold to a false teacher? All right, let's learn from our brother. But that's not loving. You might offend them. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, Let's see what John said to these Pharisees and Sadducees. Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not think to say to yourselves, well, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. Now, to step back just for a moment, we have the Pharisees. Okay, Pharisee literally means separated. These guys were the ultra-conservatives of the day. Super religious. Then we have the Sadducees. They would be also religious people, but liberal. Very liberal in their understanding. uh, Rationalists of the day. So these two groups, okay? Serpentine in their motives, viperish in their tempers. So he called them a brood of vipers. The offspring of baby snakes. Baby rattlers, right? So picture snakes fleeing from a fire, okay? That's what's going on here. So where they were uh, for, you know, why they were there was it for curiosity, Or was it for public show? Hey, all these people are coming. We're just going to come and be part of the show. Um, It's possible that John responds here with surprise and not rebuke. What's going on here? It it isn't enough to trust in one's membership or associations, guys. You need to know that. Just because you're a member of a church, a denomination, it doesn't make it okay. It doesn't make you right with God. Um, so John explains here, one's faith is a matter of personal commitment, not a reliance on ancestral pedigree, okay? It's just because, hey, we're Jewish. We're God's people. (laughs) Do you believe in Jesus? That's what matters, you know? There's a brother that uh, comes through the pantry, and, and it's hard to say like he confesses Christ, but I always ask how his walk's going. And every time he talks about his walk personally, he reverts back to uh, another brother in the Lord that does ministry. Well, I got together with so-and-so. It's always so-and-so. I talked to so-and-so. There's never the Jesus connection. That's why, you know, I I wonder. And that's why I challenge him. I love him enough that, hey, I want to make sure that he really is saved. He's not finding salvation. He thinks he has salvation because of an association with a believer who is on fire with the Lord, you know, and walking with Jesus. So we've got to be very careful of that, you know, or, hey, I'm good. I'm going to heaven. I'm Catholic. You know, great, you're Catholic. I don't care if you're Catholic. Are you born again? That's what matters. Are you a born-again Catholic? Great. I'm going to see you in heaven. We're going to party. It's going to be great. Are you a born-again Lutheran? Great. Are you a born-again Baptist? Great. But if you're just Catholic, Lutheran, Baptist, Methodist, whatever, you ain't getting to heaven. God never said that anywhere in the Bible. He said you must be born again of the Spirit of God to enter the kingdom of heaven. That's what he says. So the bottom line is what? Are you born again? That's the only thing that matters. This is where you guys get to say amen. Amen. Hey, thanks. That helps me preach better when you guys do that too. Um, So you guys get the point, right? 
Okay? It's, it's John, John's explaining one's faith is a matter of a personal commitment. It is a personal thing. Just because mom and dad are believers doesn't make you saved. Okay? It's a personal commitment that needs to be made. It's not on reliance of ancestral pedigree. Now, we're going to turn gears a little bit in verse 10 here. The lumberjack. Let's consider this. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and it is thrown into the fire. Now, the tree cutter of the fruitless trees has arrived. This is speaking about Jesus now. The great woodsman was buried or buried his axe at the root of the tree. You see, what is axe plus tree equal? You're going to fall. <laughs> And then you get fired. So his axe is still at work, cutting down fruitless trees, but also fruitless branches and corrupt fruit. We see that in John chapter 15, verse 2. It says, He, speaking of God, cuts every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will bear even more fruit. Isn't that the will of God that we bear much fruit? Man, I've been being pruned a lot lately. What's going on, God? <laughs> Get ready. Fruit's coming. It's a good thing, but it hurts. <laughs> God knows what he's doing, okay? And if you're not part of the vine, if you're not born again, you're just cut down. You're good for nothing. So, we then see in verse 11, speaking of Jesus again, Okay, we have John the baptizer, but then we have Jesus, who's the fire baptizer. Look at this. Indeed, I baptize you with water unto repentance, John says. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So you ever you have come to that point in your life where you say, I indeed, but he, <laughs> I hope so, because there's a whole lot of I indeeds in life, but the ones that really matter is, but he did this, and that's when life's good. I indeed, so is what I can do, but he comes <laughs> and does what I can't do so beyond us. So get to the end of yourself where you can't do anything, but where God does everything. That's what it's about. So do you know this baptism of the Holy Spirit? I want you to answer that. Yes or no? Do you know that baptism? Well, I got wet once. Totally different. Totally different than the baptism of the Holy Spirit, guys. So what are all the water baptisms in the world compared to, you know, if we're talking about this Holy Spirit baptism, well, that's exactly it. There's a lot of religions in the world that have water baptisms. One that matters is the Holy Spirit. We've been baptized with the Holy Spirit. I want us to listen together to Jesus' last words, okay? And we know, of course, from our study in Acts over the last year, okay, we saw Jesus there in Acts chapter 1 before he ascended into heaven. These are his last words. He says, for John... What? Jesus' last words is going to talk about John the Baptist? Really? Pretty cool, huh? I think so. John baptized with water, 
but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And you guys, of course, know Acts 1.8 where he goes on to say, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in uh, all of Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Okay, This is the Holy Spirit baptism. So there are three different terms that we see used in the scriptures for the power bestowing event that Luke's talking about in Acts there. So baptized with the Holy Spirit. It's used only one other time in scripture and that's in Acts chapter 11 verse 6 when Peter explains what happened in the house of Cornelius. You guys can check out the original language. That's the only other time that we see it. That's in chapter 10 of Acts, verses 44 to 46. So is Holy Spirit to come upon you, epi, E-P-I, okay, to come upon a person. And there's two others. There's the Holy Spirit being para, para with, okay, come alongside. And then we also see in Scripture the word en, en, the Holy Spirit to be in you. And that's what happens when a person's born again. And that's why people say, have you received Jesus Christ into your heart? It's not your physical beating heart, right? No, it's your life, the whole of who you are. Okay? Anyone who's in Christ Jesus is a new, you know, a new creation. Okay? That's what happens. He's in us and we're in him. There's that relationship. You're born again. The Spirit of God comes in you. But what they're talking about here is the Spirit coming upon in power to witness. So there are many discussions, there's many disagreements and arguments on how many times one can be baptized or filled with the Spirit, whether it occurs at salvation or subsequent to the conversion, whether there's initial physical evidence that you know, certifies that it actually has happened or not, or more important is, you know, s- some for others, you know, they want to see signs and wonders to speak in tongues, you know, to prove that you've been baptized in the Spirit, you know? Well, I don't know. That's not a proof. The Bible says he gives gifts as he wills, okay? If he wills to give me that gift, great. I guess that would, but what if he did it? doesn't mean I have it, you know? Anyways, I I think we can agree on this, and I I quoted Peter Wagner. It's in your handout. We need to receive the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit in our lives and our ministries to the greatest extent possible in order to serve God well in our world. Bottom line, this week's Tuesday morning prayer with my pastor friends, we had the shortest devotional, I think, ever. Let's open to Zechariah 4 or 6. Not by might nor by power, says the Lord, but by my spirit. <laughs> That's what it's about. And then we spent the rest of the hour just crying out to God as ministers, as pastors. God, we need your help. We need your spirit. We need to be passionate. We need to be empowered by you for ministry. It was just a bunch of men, humble before God, crying out to God because we know it's the spirit of God that we need. We all need the Spirit of God. So, He's provided us with this power for our daily living. Some of you may be really struggling in life. I believe. I'm just not finding victory. I'm not finding this Holy Spirit power that the Bible speaks about. I don't feel more than a con- You probably haven't been baptized in the Spirit of God. It's probably what's, what's going on. Well, what do you mean I haven't been? 
I grew up a believer. I love Jesus. I wanted to share Jesus with people. I tried to share Jesus with people. It just didn't work. I don't know how many times I tried to share with my best friend growing up. He thought I was just nuts. I got baptized in the Spirit of God when I was about to be 19. Okay, it was this uh, summer uh, right after I got uh, graduated. Uh, something happened. Life changed big time. My best friend who didn't want to hear about Jesus now heard about Jesus from me and now wanted nothing to do with me. We were no longer best friends. Like, whoa, what's going on? But within a couple of months of me being baptized in the Spirit, I was able to lead tons of people, friends, to Jesus Christ. What happened? What I was saying, nothing changed really. There was just an empowering to what? To be witnesses of me. That's what happens. Being empowered. It's just like, man, we need that. And I think the church today, there's just that reality. I have no clue about this baptism of the Holy Spirit. What does Luke tell us in his gospel? He said that Jesus said, hey, you, being good parents, dads, know how to give gifts to your kids, how much more your earthly father (laughs) will give the Holy Spirit to any of those who ask. All we need to do is ask. And we saw the example of Paul. He came and what baptism? Oh, we just know of John's baptism. Well, he laid hands on him. <laughs> Holy Spirit fell upon those guys. We need the empowering of the Holy Spirit today in the church. Why? Because there's a lot of people that still are living in the dark. Well, what's going on? Well, the church isn't being a witness. Well, that's kind of being judgmental. I want you guys to raise your hand if someone came up to you personally this week and shared Jesus Christ with you because they didn't know if you were a Christian or not. Anybody? The last month, has anyone approached you to evangelize? How about in the last year? How many people in the last year, somebody just randomly came up to you and shared the gospel with you? And you got saved. Awesome. (laughs) You You know, that's one of those things, guys. What's going on? I don't think there's an empowering of the Spirit of God. And it just happens. God will do, like, yeah. It's Him. It's by His Spirit. Do you guys understand that? It's not even us. You know, we can try and strive so hard to do the work of the ministry, to be a light, to share. But when we're empowered by the Spirit of God, man, there's, you don't even have to try. It just happens. Just open your mouth. Wednesday night, um, we opened the doors. I don't know how many, James, how many people were at the door? 60. So there's probably 80, 90 people that came when the doors opened. And we always have an opportunity to pray before we get started. You know, and I just simply laid out to the group, guys, salvation's your responsibility. That's all I said. There's times I've gotten up there and I've opened the Bible shared scriptures, you know, and you can see people listening and laughs. But you know what? Going into this week at the pantry, I was just in prayer big time. I'm like, God, it's you. Some of these guys have been coming forever to the pantry. They're not even close. I don't know how close they are to getting saved. But they're not in a place of asking questions or seeking or reading the Bible, trying to figure it out. You know, it's one of those things I just really prayed. And I didn't say much, but there was just it just got silent in the room. Everybody just like, because there's normally people chatting during prayer because not everybody's a believer, you know. 
it just got really silent. And you could tell the Spirit of God just, not me. I just shared a few words. I didn't even really share anything profound or deep. It's just, hey, salvation is your responsibility. Read the Bible for yourself. That's pretty much what it was. And the Spirit of God just met with people. And there was some great conversation that took place in light of that. And again, guys, he's called us to be witnesses. And we need the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And that's something we all need to be crying out for. We need to be asking the Lord. And we'll give opportunity after service. You know, the elders will come up and we'll pray for you guys to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I know for me personally and stuff, I think I diligently was on my knees and crying out for about three weeks before I had the Holy Spirit fall on upon. You know, I was really broken. There was a few times I was up half the night just crying out to God. But it was one of those things of surrendering, really humbling ourselves before him. Okay, because why do we want it? Because we want to be a witness. We want to live a life that honors him. If you just want the thrill of the Holy Spirit to be empowered, to show off. Anyways, check your heart. <laughs> um, but anyways, you guys see what the scripture's laying out here. And I love what Peter Wagner laid out there. We really need as much as we can get. So he has provided us with the power for our daily living. So it's the difference between running an automobile without oil or with oil, right? You can't run it without gas. The car would stop. But try running it without oil. It's going to run for a little while. But the repair bill, it's going to be costly. It's going to cost you a lot. So it is with the Christian life, guys. I remember there was a waitress I had one time. And uh, if you've ever went out to breakfast with me, you know I can drink a lot of coffee. Amazingly <laughs> amount of coffee at one, one sitting. And every time she came over to warm, you know how they warm it up? That's when you got a good waitress. Keeps it nice and hot. She literally would overflow my cup and it would run down onto the little coaster every time. You know, and after the third time she did it, I'm just I'm like, man, that's a great picture of the Holy Spirit in our lives. When we're being filled, just refilled, refilled, there should be that outflowing, overpouring, you know, making a mess out there for Jesus, you know. Um, beautiful mess. So I think it's a good picture of that. And we want to be refilled. And I don't know if you guys pray that, but I pray that daily throughout the day. God, would you just fill me afresh? You know, just fill me up. You know, I need you. We need that. Now, let's look at verse 12. The winnower. Again, speaking about Jesus. The winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So he drops his axe and then he picks up his fan, this winnowing fork, where the wheat stays and the chaff then is able to be blown away into a different pile ready for a fire for destruction. So Jesus is teaching uh, axe as a winnowing fork here. He, he is the great divider. He is the great divider. This is simple Bible. Okay, it's interesting. Everyone seeks to unite. Jesus seeks to divide. Okay, Christians, some Christians don't like when we say that or talk about that. It's what the Bible says, guys. Okay, you're either for him or you're against him. There's no little gray areas. <laughs> you're in or you're out. 
period. And he does that work. He makes that clear who's in and out. He's the one that brings that division. And we've seen that happen, even within families. You know, someone gets saved and the whole family, I don't want nothing to do with you anymore. You know? Um, Anyways, let's look at Jesus getting baptized now. Verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him, and when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened up to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him, and suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Pretty cool, huh? Yeah. It's so cool, too, because we see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity here in this passage also. So notice when it was time, Jesus did not uh, summon the baptizer to come up to Galilee. Hey, come up to me (laughs) to be baptized. No, Jesus joyfully journeys to the Jordan to join John. I'm going to (laughs) come, do. So John senses his unworthiness around Christ. Okay, he senses that. And John had not been assured of heaven yet, is what's going on. We read in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 33, I didn't know he was the one, but God sent me to baptize with water, and he told me, the one on whom you see the Spirit descending and rest is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And I say this happened to Jesus, so I testify that he is the chosen one of God. So, some people wonder, how do you know? Well, God spoke. He prepared his heart. He was ready. That may be you this morning. God's been preparing your heart. He's spoken to you. And something's going to happen. I've heard some pretty radical testimonies. Where people say that God's not alive, not real. Okay? I've heard of testimonies where God radically revealed himself, supernaturally revealed himself to some people. And that's how they came to faith. And then there are those who have just believed, but more blessed to believe and not see, right? You know, it is a faith thing, but there is a part of seeing. There is something for all of us when we come to faith to Christ. We know, we hear, our spirits testify with his spirit. It's just like, yeah, this is real. This is it. Um, I love that John tried to prevent him too. And I don't think it was a shrinking from his duty at all, you know, but declining in honor. He's in the same mode when Peter said, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. Or Paul, when he said, I'm, I'm the chief of sinners, I'm a nobody, okay? Or John the Baptist, I'm not worthy to carry his flip-flops. You know, <laughs> who am I? You guys remember when John 
The great revelator fell on his face as dead? I can't even be in your presence, God. I'm just going to die right here on the floor. Isaiah, I'm undone. I'm ruined. I'm a man. I'm unclean. I feel that's what John's doing in this passage. And I think that's a great thing. Lord, teach us humility. Teach us humility. Verse 15, it talks about to fulfill all righteousness, this was done. So baptism sets forth our Lord's immersion into his suffering, burial, and resurrection. So in that sense, it fulfills all righteousness. So no reason is directly explained why Jesus was baptized. Have you guys ever thought that? Why do you have to get baptized? He never sinned. He's God. <laughs> was there a need for it? Well, I thought through that, and we'll conclude with this thought this morning. I think it could have been just affirmation of John's ministry. Jesus showed up to affirm what John had been up to, what he was called to, both the man and the message, to show that his message of repentance, that it was a valid one. Maybe it was just to have an identification with us personally, okay? Follow Jesus, right? What would Jesus do? Well, he got baptized. I should get baptized. Yeah, I don't know. You know, he who knew no sin took our sin, identifying him in that way that he died for us and he identifies with us in baptism. Um, maybe it was the declaration to his father prophetically. Jesus was declaring his submission to his father's plan and his expectation of his father, uh, father's power there. Um, maybe it's just an illustration for you of I of the Trinity. We have God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all together there. So, whatever the case, his baptism marked his entrance into public ministry. That's what we know. He got baptized. His ministry begins from here. And the Holy Spirit came to anoint, to empower him for the mission that laid ahead. So our king was now proclaimed and anointed so would his next step be uh, to take the kingdom? Well, we'll look at chapter 4 next week. Lord willing. Stay tuned. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for your word here. We're thankful uh, that what you're asking of us is clear. God, you're asking us to repent, to turn to you, and to believe on you, Jesus. Pretty simple stuff. You've made it easy. Father, even with the anointing or the baptism of the Holy Spirit, God, we need your help. We know that we can't do it on our own. Lord, and that's something that you desire to give freely to any who ask. We thank you for that, God. We need you. We need your help. We're so thankful, Father, for the time in which we live. God, the freedoms that we share here in this country that we're able to gather together, Lord, to study your word, and we're able to go and to preach the good news. We pray that you'd help us to do that well for your glory. Amen.